you facing the terrifying predicament my guest and her husband found themselves in in 2011? Her elderly father had just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and they had very little money to cover the gap between the monthly pension he received and what he would need for long-term care. To put it bluntly, they were scared out of their wits. So they came up with an unorthodox solution. They moved him from northern Florida to Lima, Peru, and cared for him there. Yes, Peru, South America. He lived in Peru's historic capital for 16 months until his death in July 2012, and he got excellent personalized care that far surpassed anything he could have gotten in the United States. Sometimes, thinking outside the box for our elder care can result in a higher quality of life for everyone involved. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Welcome back to Fading Memories. I hope you guys had a fantastic last week. Are you following us on social media? If you're not, you definitely should. I post things daily, helpful information, cute dog photos, and more. Also, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page, Fading Memories Podcast. I post specific bonus content on YouTube that you will not get anywhere else. Enough of the sales pitch. Now let's get on to the show. With me today is Barbara Drake. She has had a Peruvian Alzheimer's adventure with her dad. And of course, I just had to find out more. So thanks for joining us, Barbara. Thank you very much, Jen. Thank you to all the listeners and viewers out there. So first, tell us about your dad, and then we'll get into how you ended up in Peru with, your, with him. Sure. So my dad is was American. Um, he was a Pearl Harbor vet. He worked for the post office for many years. Um, and he was kind of a character. He was eccentric. Um, he always kind of spoke in non sequiturs. So people, when, when I talk about when did you know your father had Alzheimer's, it was very difficult because people could be having a big, long conversation. He would introduce some fact about Sir Francis Drake, who he thought was our long-ago ancestor, you know, and everybody just got used to it. Um, so that's the story of my dad. He and my mom lived in Massachusetts. Then they did move down to Gainesville, Florida, where my husband and I and our son were living. Um, so my mother passed away in 2004 from lung cancer. My dad continued as a widower. Um, he had an active church life. Um, he um, he was part of the Masons. He got a little he got a little poodle. They would watch TCM together. Um, he seemed to be kind of holding it all together. Um, but in many ways, he was very adept at kind of disguising his um, his Alzheimer's. And I'm sure that is common to a lot of listeners out there. There's a lot of, you know, covering up and, and things like that. So yeah, they, they do get good skills at at deflecting the issue. Mm-hmm, right. Maybe a specific question is asked. He knows how to answer another kind of question. And so what he's he's able to turn the conversation around. Um, again, I in retrospect, I'm an only child. I feel like I really needed to 
really understand and read up on this topic. I mean, this is going out to people who are caregivers. The people who need this information are all the people in their 40s and 50s going along with life, you know, who think, oh, Alzheimer's is just forgetting things. No, there are a lot of behavioral changes that you really need to watch out for. My dad, we, well, so my husband and I, we left to go live in, in Peru with our son. We actually wanted to live with my dad in this house. And he, by that time he was a widower and he said, no, he's like, no, don't. And so looking back on it, he was not making good decisions. We should have been making decisions for him. Instead, I felt hurt and I said, okay, we have this opportunity in Latin America. So we went with our son who was then nine years old and we lived in, in Lima. Um, but, you know, we set up an arrangement with his uh, geriatricians. We said, please test him cognitively. Let us know if anything is going on. And the doctor did what a lot of doctors do. They don't test for Alzheimer's because it's kind of not really worth their while. They don't think it's worth their while because there's no cure for it and everything. So long story short, there were signs ahead of time. And I, if I had known everything that I know about Alzheimer's today, I would have done things differently. But by the time, my father was 87. and He was diagnosed after a UTI and a hole in the back of his house. He ended up in the hospital. So that's sort of briefly the story of my dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And one thing that's changed, now all this happened with your dad in 2011, correct? Yes, early 2011. Okay, so in just in the last year, 2019, and I think the end of 2018, there's been two federal legislations passed that aim to help doctors get paid for doing cognitive assessments and care planning. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm an advocate, a legislative advocate for the Alzheimer's Association. And so that's something. <laughs> like ah, Alzheimer's all day sometimes, you know. Right, right, right. And so it's it's just interesting. Hopefully, this legislation will help alleviate a lot of that problem. But yeah, I've I've experienced the same thing. And one of my issues with medical profession is that half the time they don't. It's like yes, my mom is the physical patient, but you can't take me out of the scenario. I'm not the taxi driver. I'm I'm the brains, but she's the physical body. So it's really Absolutely. frustrating when, you know, they, you know, I tell them I, I work Tuesday through Saturday. You know, I'm available most of the day on Mondays. Oh, well, this doctor is only available on Wednesday through Friday. Well, then find me a different one because, you know, there are more of them than there are of me. There's only one of me. So that's that's a whole other podcast I'm trying to work on is. I, I mean, I a dementia-friendly medical team. Mm, and I'd love to, I can talk to you a little bit about how things were different, you know, in Peru regarding that issue. I totally agree with you, Jen. It's it's really, really serious, um, the, the lack of not coordinating with families. And again, the improving hope for Alzheimer's. I mean, we really need to get clinicians on board with the testing because the whole family has to come together to help out. Whatever that family consists of, the person who's diagnosed with Alzheimer's is no longer capable of making sound decisions for themselves. So I agree, the Improving Hope for Alzheimer's Act is really important for getting that whole team together. I agree with you on that. 
Now, when you were talking, I was reading, you sent me all kinds of wonderful notes that I appreciate. And one of the questions I had, because you said that, and I'm going to have to get my glasses on because I'm getting old. <laughs> one of these things is really tiny. Once once we hit 50, it, 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 the, the warranty wears out, right? Like, <laughs> like, an, like an afford, like that's it. You hit the mileage. It's just... Well, I'm a Honda because as of yesterday, my paternal grandmother is 101 years and seven months old. So wow. I tell people, sorry, you stuck with me. This is only the beginning of phase two of the life. So lovely. I'm sure you're <laughs> sure you're going to be fabulous at it. I hope so. So you said that Lima is tied with Beijing, Beijing, ugh, with the, oh my goodness. <laughs> Lima is tied with Beijing for the highest number of licensed home health aides. Now, is that, you think, mostly cultural? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I, I do think there's, there's a tradition of caring for elders, both in Asia, well, we're seeing it also in Thailand, lots of things like that, and in Lima. I don't know quite why it's so concentrated in the city of Lima. I, I read a report on this, and... It just notes the numbers in different places. But mm -hmm. I, I, I can say that this really, really helped us in finding help. And it's just, it's become part of the, I mean, it, for at least the, like, the last 80 years, you would always be able to find young women who would be, who'd be trained, who could help out at the house. And that really makes it easier to help you know, elders. That's something that we, uh, in America, that's what we need. We, oh. we need that mobile workforce. It's a mobile workforce. Yes, they can work in hospitals, but they, um, they're really trained to work at the home. They, they function in both settings. And that was really, um, Jen, thank you for pointing that out. That really was the element that made the whole difference in the care for Yeah, I was amazed that you said the care that your dad got in Peru, the doctors came to him and it's like, oh my God, I would pay a lot of money for that. Not that I have a lot of money, but my mom is my mom has enough to pay for mm -hmm. she's in a memory care residence. But just transporting her to the doctor, it's not that far. Thankfully, she's almost around the corner from the neurologist and, and many things. Her general physician, unfortunately, is literally like a mile and a quarter from my house. So I have to drive over to pick up mom mm -hmm. back this way. Then it's like back and forth, back and forth, which, you know, it's not that big a deal. But when the doctors, I had them over the summer, call me one at one morning, it was late morning, like 1030 in the morning. We thought mom had a UTI. She did not. So he calls me up or the staff calls me up and says, well, the doctor wants you to bring your mom in today. And I'm like, why? I have things to do. And she's like, oh, you can't. Well, he thinks she has kidney stones. And I'm like, mm, let me think here. My mail order MD says, nope, no, no kidney stones. But I, I looked at the, the uh, symptoms on Google, which I know, dangerous. And I'm like, eh, it's possible. It took me six hours and 12 phone calls to get the um, ultrasound scheduled. And then I had to drive her 25 miles away because when you start making calls to get an appointment today and it takes that many hours for everybody to coordinate, I was like, by the time I got done, I was 
I was so over the top stressed and angry. I have not yelled at people on the phone irrationally like that in a very, very long time. So that's my issue. It's like, you know, okay, maybe the ultrasound machine might not be easy to just drag over to mom's place. Well, Jen, this, this is everything. It beca- it's logistics. When your loved one has dementia, the logistics get crazy. And it's, it's like having a baby, only it's a baby that weighs more than 150 pounds. And, you know, you've got you to gotta go all over the place. So uh, I, I briefly cared for my dad in the United States when he had Alzheimer's. And to me, what was amazing to be in another country, to be south of the border, was I, I wish I could analyze everything. But for some reason, they figured out how to help elders age in place. So... The doctors made house calls. I felt like I was out of something from the 1950s. Like the doorbell rings and this guy, this guy with the brief, you know, his little doctor bag enters the door, you know. And so, yeah, it costs um, between seventy and eighty dollars for the doctor visit. Um, the just nurses, amazing. yeah, it was really amazing. Um, prices have gone up, I'd say, by ten to fifteen percent since 2011, 2012. Um, then the um some of the labs would come and do all the blood work at, at your home and again when you have someone with alzheimer's just transporting them turns into this you know this this nightmare they, they, all of a sudden they don't want to leave the house or something like that but so that was really nice and the pharmacies delivered the medications to your home they had they have little guys on motorcycles who ride all over the streets 24 hours a day delivering everything. The only thing they would not deliver would be something like a narcotic. You would have to go yourself. So I was astonished. And there's so many stresses with caregiving. I mean, you know, there's so many stresses, but those things made our caregiving so much easier, you know, and I agree with you. We need to make towns and cities and, and everything we have around elders, um, we need to make care more more accessible to people. And, you know, I would love to see these things in the United States, some of these ideas, because we're only getting older as a country. Yeah. What's going to happen? The whole, all the Gen Zs are going to spend their entire lives, you know, making doctors, spending hours making doctor's appointments for us? No, I don't think so. I'm in trouble because there is no, my daughter's a millennial. I think she's... Mm-hmm. I think she's on the younger end. She just turned 28. Okay. okay. So, but I have read recently, and I think it's by 2050. I mean, we're already having a shortage of caregivers, paid caregivers, in-home care or in a, um, I don't want to say facility, that's the wrong word, in a residence, in a community might be the right word. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's by 20, it's either by 2030 or by 2050. Let's hope it's 2050. The shortage will be just over the top. Like we'll only have like a third of what we need at best. And that's a scary statistic considering I just turned 53. (laughs) If I'm going to live to be as old as my grandmother, I might need a little assistance. (laughs) And I have only the one daughter as well. And it's like, you know, you can't, like I have, I have had to change my career path a little bit now you know most people do know I'm a photographer and fortunately you know Steve Jobs started down the path of eliminating portrait photographers and that just keeps happening so 
fortunately I'm getting older and that job is getting more difficult because my knees don't cooperate and I love podcasting, which is great, but it's like, you know, it's, it's difficult. I I don't work for a company. My husband and I are both self-employed. And when my dad ended up on hospice and we were bouncing my mom between my house and her house with her sister and my sister's house, it was just, was crazy. Like we all lost out on income. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can only do that for a very short period of time before you're like, uh, okay. And I recently had a conversation with my neighbor. He was saying, well, how do, you know, how do most people like you, you know, pay for a parent's care? And I said, well, hopefully they have a house you can sell and you pray to God they die before they outlive the money. And he's like, that doesn't sound like a very good plan. I'm like, that's the best plan most people have. I said, that now is- if they don't have their own home to sell. I said, a lot of people quit their jobs. They, they start, you know, they juggle to the point where they nearly kill themselves. It's not, not cool. I mean, the whole, you know, healthcare caregiving industry is a nightmare. Yes. I I I don't think they're going to figure it out before, before it's a cataclysmic nightmare. I agree, Jen. I think it's, I think it's really broken. Um, You mentioned people having to sell their parents' home. That was what we were faced with in January of 2011. Um, My husband and I were working in South America doing all these different things. I was teaching part-time. I was a stringer for the Miami Herald. I was producing news for NBC News. Um, And it was like dribs and drabs of income. And then all of a sudden, my dad needed full-on like dementia care. So I said, sell my dad's home. Or we saw that there were elders, we were already living in Peru, and our family's elders were all cared for in their, in their homes. I didn't know any other American expats who were doing this. I only knew my husband's um, family. My husband's Peruvian. He moved here in, when he was 20 years old, so like 1980, so you do the math there. But we saw what they were doing, and but otherwise, I would have had to sell my my father's home. I'm speaking to you from my dad's home that we did not have to sell. That's nice. My Did mom's yeah. we my mom's house is rented out mm-hmm. because it is 49 years old, which has got its own challenges. Because I swear, every time I turn around, one of the either the tenants renting it or the landscaper who takes has taken care of the yard for like forever. Mm-hmm. They'll and he takes care of my finally finagled him to come work on my yard he'll say oh you know the fence needs this or there's this water leak in the main you know irrigation lines that or the tenants have said it's like oh my god this house my dad did not believe in preventative maintenance okay so we're taking care of a lot of that now and it's frustrating but it's paid for Mm -hmm. and it's under the prop 13 which i'm sure most people are slightly familiar with they yeah they cat you know my my mom's property taxes for the year are about what mine are for the month. Yeah, it's fun. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. So this, even yeah. though it's an older home, it's still worth about 600000 mm-hmm. It was built in 1970. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's my husband and I sometimes, my husband's a real estate broker. And so we sometimes talk about, well, you know, if, it, if, if we're going to go to sell it, you know, cause like the kitchen's really dinky mm-hmm. and the dining area is dinky and you know, it's like, what would we do? But it's got to step up and a, you know, it's like, 
there's like one step up into the house and then one, you know, it's like, it's not all a hundred percent level. So it's like, I don't know what we do to this house to fix it, to, you know, make it more modern. So that's kind of one of our little, oh, if we just had plenty of money to just rip up the house and, and change it, but it's, it's nice that we still have it. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm assuming by the time mom is gone, all the backlog of maintenance will have been handled and my, maybe my sister and I, instead of selling it, we'll keep it and rent it out and have that income for our household. So that's, it's nice right. that we have that option, but my dad was fanatical on, you know, investing. And he, like I said, he didn't believe in preventative maintenance because he didn't spend money. So she's mm-hmm. got um, the social security, her investments and the income from the house that covers what she needs, thankfully, but it's extremely expensive. We have it to is take expensive. Yeah, we, we rented out my father's home while my father was living in Peru. And a couple of years that worked out, another year it, the tenant was not a good tenant and did all kinds of crazy things. So, you know, and you can't you can't be two places at once. But anyway, yeah, this idea that having to give up why should we have to give up our homes or why should we have to worry about it? I think it's really crazy. And and the thing is people people who are younger just don't know. And you want to like sort of hold up a road sign and say, this is coming in 10 years, 15 years, this is going to happen. But they're all busy with like little babies or something. So they don't, they don't pay attention to all this stuff, but it definitely needs to be fixed. Yeah. Well, fortunately my family knows the warning signs. Yay. And it's really interesting. And then we're, we're I'm going to mention this and then we're going to get back to Peru. Okay. When I've been a photographer for like 27 years Mm -hmm. and I've always challenged myself to do new things for clients and be, you know, don't just do the same stuff for everybody. That's first off, it's boring as hell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why would you come to me for something nice if the same people down the block are going to get something similar? You know, it's like that. So I've always challenged myself, which is is important for your brain health, Mm -hmm. but having to learn all of the things I've had to learn to start this podcast business there's days when it's like, okay, I need to like shut off my brain because I just keep getting ideas. Like last night, I had an, I've had an idea for a podcast title and then I don't know where out of the blue, this other idea attached to it popped in my head. Every time I rolled over last night, I would, I would think of this thing and it's like, could I even pull that off? Could it work that way? I mean, like every time I rolled, so I did not sleep well last night because I couldn't shut off my brain. And I really break? feel a lot more mentally alive, which is really crazy because mm-hmm. I didn't feel dead before. <laughs> so brain health is important. Learning new things is really important. And, and it's, it's interesting to be able to actually live the, you know, I thought I was doing good before and now I can see how I'm doing so much better. So we all need to take care of our brains. We totally need to take care of our brains. I totally agree with that, Jen. Yeah. Okay, so you guys... You lived in Peru before, were you in Peru when he was diagnosed? Yeah, so we had been living in Peru for four years and I always talked to my dad by phone and one day I called him, up. I, I, I didn't hear from him and I felt really nervous. So then I just kept calling and calling and then he picked up and he goes, I feel weird. I've just been sitting here. It feels really weird in my pants. I'm like, holy shit, what's happening? Oops, sorry for cursing. And That's okay. <laughs> 
So then I caught up his, geri- his geriatrician in Gainesville, Florida. That's where he lived. Who, who was the most useless person? I will never name this man, but my God. <laughs> uh, I, I called him up, and this was the one good thing he did. He said, your dad, if he's not getting out of his chair, something's going on. So from Peru, I called the EMT in Gainesville, and they came, and they found my dad. He just was sitting in his, like, lounge chair, and he'd been there for days. And I'm not going to go into the details. Yes. So they whisked him off. They, they labeled him failure to thrive. I thought that was just something for a baby. Um, so then they put him in, but he ended up being in the hospital. And they diagnosed him with a UTI. So I guess what happened was he had an untreated UTI. And, you know, that's why the, they were so, at the place where your your parent is, they were so concerned about that. And then he was put into a rehab place. And so I came up and spent a couple of weeks. And it was in the rehabilitation center that he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. His geriatrician would just breeze in and out of the of his hospital room, collect his like $350 for like the five minutes he was there and leave. But it was, you know, it was at the rehab place that they diagnosed him. And now I look, well, of course my father had Alzheimer's. And look at all the insane things he did, like hoarding and collecting like crazy. He was, you know, everyone nods their head like, yeah, that's weird. You know, it's my dad. He had a whole closet filled with um, vitamins, like, everything vitamin e uh, like that's, like that's cool interesting filters for the through the year 2050 or something you know anyway um now i realize it but that was once he received that diagnosis my husband and i took turns going up there being with him and supervising him and then we just we started looking at the care options in florida we're like what will we pay and then we realized my father was on a pension he got three thousand dollars a month and we're like that's not going to cover everything for dementia care Everything's going to be, that doesn't do it. And people who don't know anything about caregiving, they're like, well, of course, Medicaid pays for dementia care. No, it doesn't. It doesn't cover it because it was created when we used to die earlier. So we didn't get, you know, senile, you know, dementia, whatever they used to call it. Yeah, so that was what happened. So we were already living in Peru for four years. We looked around. So while my husband, um, we took turns. My husband was amazing. My, my husband used to be a disaster specialist for the American Red Cross. Um, and he was the head of disaster services in Miami in the Keys for a while in 1990s. So he was great in, in the disaster. I mean, this was a disaster that he was born to manage. And uh, you, you guys don't get any disasters in the Florida over there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We, oh, yeah, all kinds of disasters. Wait, wait. Here's me and my husband when we were... Um, let me see. There we are married. That's cute. There we are. Okay. And this is my father with my son, Sammy. Um, let me see if I can. Where, where are you? Uh, here, there you go. So <laughs> you see. So this is really intriguing because my son was like 12 at the time. That's my father. That's his dog, Charlie Brown, who um, used to eat Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh Lord! This was this was one month before my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I had come to um, Florida to be with him for a whole month, and I noticed he was more frail. But he was, you know, leading. He was leading ceremonies at, at the Masonic Lodge. So that UTI that he had 
really sent him on this really, really fast. And again, I didn't know this. So we made the decision looking at all the numbers, talking to um, an elder care planner who happened to have, he was American, he was this guy with a big Southern drawl, and he had a wife from Panama. He's like, when I'm old and demented, I want you to haul my ass down to South to South America. They take care of everything there, dang good seafood. Um, the, you know, like cute little nurses to wait on you everything and like he'll live like a king and that elder care man was totally right so we did the numbers and then the numbers in Peru were like amazing we had two healthcare workers um two licensed home care aides they alternated 24-hour shift they slept in my dad's bedroom with him when they alternated then they would get the day off and it cost a total of $667 a month. Which is amazing because when my dad was on hospice, which was the first quarter of 2017, mm-hmm. we had to have 24-hour caregivers for him and for my mom, $700 a day. So, you know, when people Wait say... Wait a second. So that's California. So what I spent in a month for two was what you spent um, yeah. So, and that $300 a month is a good salary in Peru. So like they could now get a credit card. That was like the measure of being like you know, live, living the life. But <laughs> so, yeah, so we did, we did that. We did the math and then we got my dad out of the, of the rehab, which there was a whole other horror story with that. I won't think he escaped. It basically he escaped. No one was looking and he went wandering down a, a six lane highway. Oh Lord. For hours and a policeman found him and like great yeah so anyway he arrives in Peru um my husband that was probably for anybody who's thinking of doing what we did um I don't know if by the end they're gonna ever think they want to do it or not but a real issue is how are you going to transport your loved one with Alzheimer's I mean this is an issue so the woman at the rehab place I gave my dad, I uh, gave my husband Valium. So my husband had Valium in a bag and then a bag of diapers. And when they went through Panama, <laughs> they went through the Panama airport, they had to switch airplanes. So my dad, my husband changed my dad's diapers in one of the stalls in the Panama airport. Then they come out and all these guys are looking at them like, Why, what are they doing in there? You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. They, they, my father flew first class. Um, he kept going, when am I going home? You know. But anyway, they, they came and then he landed in, in Peru. So that was it. He knew he was going to Peru. He said, I'm going to the land of the Incas. That's what he kept saying. If I had to take my mom to Peru, I would probably, I don't know how many hours it is from California. We're in Northern California. Yes. Okay. I would have to listen to, does my husband know where I'm going? Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. And I, my, my dad's been gone since March of 2017. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Did you talk to my husband? Yes, I did. It's fine. He totally knows what's going on. It's all, everything is fine. It's okay. Okay, fine. Does my husband know? It's like, oh my God. So we yeah. would have to completely sedate her. She yep. loves the warmth. She'd probably absolutely thrive down there. I don't know that my sister would like be <laughs> super keen. She still has school age kids. So, you know. Right. Changing uh, countries is not really an option for her. Um, I would I would consider it, but I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. It's it's hard to know. She's in the later stages of the disease, 
And despite living in California, I don't speak Spanish, mm-hmm. which that's, is terrible. <laughs> I could probably learn it pretty quick, talk to the gardener. And, you know, so that, that would be an issue because you definitely yeah. said in the notes that you need at least an intermediate level of, of the language. Mm-hmm. And then you get to learn some medical terms <laughs> in a foreign language. Yeah, that, that was actually weird for me. I, I, I only had a month of Spanish before going down. French is my second language. And I thought I was going to have more time to learn, and I didn't. I had a Peruvian husband, though, so that managed a lot of things. But I did learn a lot of medical terminology. And then what was weird was when I came back to the United States, I, I knew all these terms about Alzheimer's and, and elder care, but in Spanish, it was kind of like weird. And <laughs> That is funny. So tell yeah. everybody about what your dad's experience was like living there, being cared for there. We touched on the, you know, the doctors came to visit, did tests mm-hmm. in the home, which I would love to pay for that. <laughs> right. We need to start that in the United States right now. Yeah. Um, my dad's experience was overall like really positive. He got great care there. And the thing that was really nice about his care, I mean, my father did not have big health problems when he went down there. Um, so I think that's also another important issue for people. I would not transport someone with severe heart problems, anything, you know, like kidney things like, you know, keep them in the U.S. where they can use their insurance there. My father had some ongoing chronic issues, but really what he needed was helping hands around him all the time. I mean, that's that's the care you need with Alzheimer's, not drastic interventions. Generally, it's answer. And he had a, he had a, you know, that was great. It took a little tweaking to find the right people who were willing to work with a tall Americano, you know, who like he, most Peruvians, they're like, the average Peruvian man is five foot four, okay? And my dad was close to six feet. So he was a kind of a big package for people to handle, but he, he did great with, with his nurses. He finally found two aides who were absolutely perfect for him, lovely women from the Highlands. Um, one had a grown child, the other had a small child at home. Um, but they were just really loving. And some people might say, oh, like they'd be really cynical, like, oh, they're getting paid. But there was a difference there. The culture values elders and they were never impatient with him. And because they were his nurse, his nurse around the clock, you know, they didn't have to rush off and see another patient. So they could walk at whatever little slow pace he had, get him across the street. And they were just happy doing all the things with him, coloring with him. And my father initially was violent. His, his Alzheimer's brought out violence. And again, I was not used to that. My dad was not a violent guy. He was a man who never would hit a, a, a woman or a child or anything like that. But at one point, this was before he, we had to get all the right medications for my father and get him stabilized. But in the initial like like month and a half, my dad was violent and he even punched me in the eye, you know? And when my dad punched me in the eye, something he would never ever do in his life, I was like, I knew this is not the same person that I knew before, you know? This is the, this is the disease almost ravaging his sense of self. Um, but after we got him on all the right medications, he had a really great team of doctors down there. They all came to our house. He never had to go anywhere. Um, 
he he also they put him on antidepressants and i realized my dad probably needed those for decades so he got on the antidepressants we put him on magasi which awakens the appetite are you jen are you aware of what magasi is no fortunately my mom's a really good eater she's like your dad she doesn't have any other issues her visual processing is shot so she can't do the coloring when we walk places she walks behind me and she walks like you said at a snail's pace which is really frustrating when you have to take them to the doctor and you're traipsing across this parking lot and people don't realize that the old lady can't just kind of hop out of the way of the car it's so frustrating but no what is the what you just said my gosh okay so if mom ever loses her appetite or goes on like a little hunger strike my dad became like gandhi or something he was like i don't want to live anymore and so our doctor gave us something called Magasi, M-E-G-A-C-E. It used to be given to AIDS patients to stimulate their appetite. Once he got on the Magasi, they go, we think it's going to take a week to work. But with my dad, it was like less than a day. And so he ate like a horse the whole time he was there. He was great. Um, but getting back to his routine. So once he was on the, the right meds, the antidepressants, the Magasi, he, he had a really great time with, with the nurses there. They, it was very attentive care. And my dad was always super serious. Um, he had no sense of humor. Like my mother and I would laugh all the time about things. My dad's like, what are you laughing about? That's not funny. Um, he developed a sense of humor. This is really weird. They would tease him all the time. And even though they, they learned a few words in English and he transformed under their care the nurses also then i'm sorry the the health aides um they it's a more of a touching culture so they would hold his hand and watch television together that was like really normal and uh they they just enjoyed everything that he did you know and so he used to be a very independent guy think of a world war ii vet they doted on him. They doted on him. And he became like the nicest person I could ever have imagined. He, he was a little tough on me. You have to understand. I'm like, wow, he really changed. So I think that the care that my father got there was really exemplary. He did live like a king, like the elder care the guy said. My dad ultimately had to be transferred to a nursing home because we lost the lease on the house that we were renting. And my father also started, he had a couple of seizures. So we put him in a nursing home, which was run, which is small. It, there were less than 20 dementia patients there. The young women there were amazing with him. Um, my father died of heart failure. Um, he died instantly there. And they were in bed with him holding his hand. So my dad died in bed with four young women. <laughs> Now, see, that's how everybody, you know, we all need to go like that. You know, everybody, you, I talk to people, you know, my age and older, and they're like, you know, oh, my dad wants to, you know, he doesn't want to go into a home and wants to age in place. And I'm like, is that even possible in his home? You know, does, uh-huh. Do they have stairs? You know, mm-hmm. my neighbor's father lives up near Tahoe. Oh, snow. You know, and unlike down here where today it's just super cold. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much to consider, you know, and 
And like I said, my grandmother is 101.7. She lives on her own. She's mostly blind from glaucoma. Regular Mm -hmm. listeners know. And in the last nine months, her hearing has gotten really bad. I don't know why she's not wearing hearing aids. Although I can imagine. They don't want to wear their hearing aid. That's why. (laughs) I'm not sure she's ever been fitted with them. But I called to invite her over for, you know, family holiday and I'm at the dog park with my mom and the three dogs, my three dogs. So that's what we do. That's what I do with my mom. We go watch children. Yeah. We go to the dog park. You know, mm-hmm. these are the things that she enjoys because she can't do things. You know, they always say simplify the activities that they enjoyed. I tried that. What a nightmare. That's when I learned that visual processing, her visual processing was just kaput. I'm surprised she can function at all. It's so bad. But we were, you know, I called my grandmother and she knew it was me because she said, hello, hi, Jenny, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I want to invite you over for the holidays. And she's like, I can't hear you. And I'm like literally screaming into the phone and people at the dog park are looking at me like, what is wrong with that, that chick over there? <laughs> she finally hung up on me. And then my aunt called me back. My aunt does, my aunt's close by and my aunt does a lot of care for her, but she's really burned out my aunt because my grandfather mm-hmm. died in December of 97. So that's been a really long time. And, yes. you know, my grandmother doesn't cook because she can't see well. I mean, there's just a lot of things about aging in place that is yes. extremely difficult if you haven't put in the, the steps in place to make that possible. And that most of us don't do that because we don't think we're going to ever need it, which is stupid because most of us will. Right. But as you're, as, as you're describing this to me, Jen, what, what I'm hearing is aging in place means all these family members having to do things. It's adding burdens to them, which many of us do out of love. And as you say, as time goes on and on, maybe the family member has health problems himself or herself, you know, the one who's helping out. So um, that it's eight, no aging in places is not easy here in America. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing I really saw in Peru, how there was just these armies of people you could pay. It was reasonable and they would help you do things. So that's why a lot of people in, in Peru and in Latin America overall age in place, the systems are set up to make that easier. Of course, you always have women doing more than the men for, for caregiving. I mean, that's always, you know, it's kind of like a given and I don't really like that, but you also have all this support. I mean, my husband's family, they all were aging in place, people with horrible kidney problems. My dad had to be hydrated at a certain point. He went on this hunger strike. He, He was convinced that that the world outside our door was the land of the dead. And he, he said, I'm dead. And, and, and he said, I'm dead. There's no reason to feed me. He was, it was off in this other world. Um, so he scared off a couple of doctors. And then one guy from the Naval Hospital said, I said, doctor, what's going He's killing himself. What's happening? This was like two weeks after my dad arrived. And, and he goes, your dad isn't, isn't dead. He goes, your dad is spunk. You know, he told me to shut up. You know, it's like, don't give up. He goes, we just need to hydrate your dad because my dad stopped drinking. Um, so instead of my father going to a hospital, see, so this is another issue like aging in place. We brought 
hospital equipment to our house. Um, we brought IVs and that's so again, my dad was treated there. Was it the most perfect setup? Probably not as perfect as being in a hospital, but then with the elderly, you have to weigh the trauma of moving somebody. Um, again, it worked out. And, you know, again, with, with your grandmother, just bless her that she's, that she's made it over a hundred. How amazing. And if a care, if she needs to be put in a home, I, I, I saw both sides of the coin with my father. I had the at home and then I had the, the nursing home there. The lovely thing about the nursing home was if some health aide or a nurse is sick, there's always somebody else. Like you don't have these gaps in care. So I see the both as being good options as long as you really vetted everybody. Well, when we put my mom in the memory residence, mm-hmm. you know, which is attached to an assisted living community, mm-hmm. my sister tried really hard to convince our grandmother to move into the assisted living side. Now, one of the things I feel that we need in our assisted living communities are little cottages. My grandmother has had her own home for, I don't know, a very long time, maybe forever. And she doesn't want to move into an apartment. Now, I know if she'd do it, she would love it because she would have people at her beck and call. She could be like, oh, dearie, can you get me some more tea? Or can you da 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 She would love it. But it's that transition. I mean, first off, moving when at any age is, is stressful. And at that age, holy Toledo. Right. You know, but she just would not consider it. And she does, and she's got plenty of money. Mm-hmm. But family is to do. Okay. That's the way it works. And we're not going to compensate family. So... It's like, I have to, I deal with my mom. So I, I kind of like leave her to my aunt, which makes me feel yeah. guilty because my aunt is older. Mm-hmm. You know, she's in her late sixties, early seventies. So, you know, she shouldn't have to be worrying about her mother-in-law, but she, right. you know, she's, that. and then, and my grandmother's got a really good friend who's quite a bit younger than her, although most of the world is younger than her, <laughs> that, Drives her a lot of places. My aunt finally put her foot down many years ago and said, I will do A, B, and C, and that's it. Because uh-huh. my grandmother was running her ragged. And so mm-hmm. my aunt does what she said she'd do, and the friend does everything else. And, my, you know, it's there's, there's re- rational reasons for some of the things, you know, like my grandmother does not want to take a taxi or an Uber or whatever because she's concerned that she, especially because she's visually impaired, that oh. she will be, you know, assaulted or harmed or, you know, she won't know if they're driving her the longest way around or uh-huh. if they're not driving her to the hair place. You know, so, I mean, I understand that to a point. And that also kind of goes to the the statement you made earlier that our communities are not set up for aging in place. So you just brought up something great. An Uber for elders, you know, and it might be very similar to regular Uber or Lyft. But with a few extra caveats, you know, maybe the person, the driver has done training for dealing with the elderly. Maybe there is certain things like if the person has a walker, they assist them getting to the front door. I mean, this it's a win-win situation. And and all of these are the logistics that right now only families are are picking up unless you're very rich and you can afford to pay someone. I, by the way, I have a friend lives in California. Um, 
she lives way off in something called the Pine Mountain Club. I don't know. It was near Santa Clarita, the, the horrible place where they did the shooting recently. But her mother has Alzheimer's. Her mother, they're worth a lot of money, like millions. So she has had, she's lived in Manhattan, her mother, who's now in her late 80s, with a private nurse 24-7. But most people can't afford that. Who can, who can afford that kind of thing? And it just falls on some family members to, to do all these little things. I think America really needs more of these services directed for elders, legitimate, and we also need to pay our family caregivers. I think I personally, there was, I'm pretty active on Twitter and there was a, a comment and I don't remember, or there was a question. I don't remember what the question was, but I basically put, you know, that family caregivers need like a tax break or something to offset the lost income. I mean, I know people, women generally, somewhat older than me, not necessarily a lot older than me, who have to cut back to working part-time or they have to quit working. So now not only are they impacting their immediate income, they're impacting their retirement income. And it's like, it's, it's like a snowball because now you've got millennials taking care of, mm-hmm. you know, elders. And if they haven't even gotten to a point where they could maybe cut back on work hours, even right. though that we've just said, that's not necessarily financially good for your retirement. I mean, mm-hmm. at some point we're going to have people like my grandmother, they're going to be working at the grocery store under 101, no hearing, no sight. I don't know what they're going to be doing, but yeah, I just, you know, it blows me away. And, you know, we've got this election coming up and people are mm-hmm. talking about, you know, Medicare for all. And I have had to pay for private health insurance for 28 years. Mm-hmm. And since my daughter was born and there's times when, you know, it's like, we're not, going to be insured for a while because I can't afford $1,500 a month for the two of us because we're healthy. And it's mm-hmm. it's literally like burning money. There's no return on this investment. It's not like I pay $1,500, now I've got money banked. So that is not a good system. I I get concerned about covering everybody when I look at the money that my dad was, my dad got paid out, you know, with he his Medicare paid millions of dollars. He had dialysis for two and a half years. He had a kidney transplant. He was in the hospital for a month before he went on hospice. He was in the hospital for like 10 days when he had complete kidney failure. He had four-way heart bypass. I mean, at some point it's like, dude, either start taking better care of yourself or we're pulling the plug, (laughs) which of course is terrible. But yeah, it's like, I have, you know, I, I get stressed about, you know, like, what are we going to do with our health care? It's already broken, and now we've got this tsunami of Alzheimer's and dementia coming, you know, at us, and we're completely unprepared for that. And it's like, yikes! It's very frightening. Peru is, <laughs> is sounding good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so yeah. Like when I think about what am I going to do, I, I know from having seen it firsthand that it is a sane, logical alternative, as long as you're really healthy. You can't go there, you're like having really huge health problems, but I'm, you know, I'm definitely think, <laughs> thinking of it. I mean, we lived in Peru for seven years total. That includes the time when my dad was with us. And okay, I'm gonna say this, I don't want you to get jealous, <laughs> but I never had to clean a toilet for seven years. That's nice. Well, we do have a housekeeper here. Okay, so, so you do great. Okay, so you have a housekeeper. So I never had to clean a toilet. 
Um, I just took cabs everywhere because it was so cheap. They had natural gas. So coming back to America where you have to do everything yourself. We're so used to this culture where you, you do it all as an American. You even pump your gas, which is crazy. It's this toxic, these toxic fumes, you know? Unless so you're in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Oregon, you cannot pump your own gas. Really? Yes. We went, we traveled up there many years ago and I was like, uh-huh. what the hell? I'm like, <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> I mean, okay, it's a nice you. thing, but it's like, I was so confused because I'm like, yes. what do you mean? Don't get out of the car. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta go to the bathroom. Thank you for, thank you for telling me. I, I haven't been to Oregon, but that, that's now I know. I, I would probably be disoriented if I just had to sit there. Yeah, it's weird. Someone did the thing. But anyway, you do get used to in Peru people doing things for you. And so we do as a country here in the United States, we need to figure something out. And it's, you know, I believe there should be breaks definitely in taxes for people who are caregivers. I'll I'll go you one better. I think you should get paid for being a family caregiver. Now, then people will jump in and say, oh, that could be abused. But, you know, make people take certain classes in it. I mean, the number of people who would abuse it, let's be honest, there's just so many millions of family caregivers. They're at their breaking point. I see it. I'm a, um, I'm the ambassador for Florida District 3, for, for, for Congressional District 3. And I'm no longer a caregiver. So now I can go and I can talk, I can talk to people, um, you know, listen to what people's concerns are. It just breaks my heart what people go through and the burden falls on individuals and even to keep your job i I work i i work for university um so so i I have a good steady job to keep your job though in the working force you can't go you, you have to be really careful how much time you take off you can't you you jeopardize your job by making your caregiver status really overt and known to people i i know oh a woman on Twitter, she told me how she told her boss that, that her father had Alzheimer's and she would have to take off like this date, like a couple of days a month to take. And she just got fired like that. So, you know, it's not like you had a baby. So, you know, when you have a baby, people get it. And then, oh, my God, the baby is sick. Everyone's gone through it. So as hard as it is having a baby, there is an understanding of the intense care that parents have to give with our elders it's we 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 keep it quiet you know there's there's no shower for when you have someone's diagnosed with alzheimer's here here's all the the, the diapers you know like all the things you need that was <laughs> an interesting concept <laughs> right an alzheimer's shower you need a lot of stuff for someone with alzheimer's here's a walker you know all that stuff you don't get any of that you're just in your quiet world. So for me, when I have, as an Alzheimer's advocate, it's really intriguing because I'm always very forward. Yeah, my dad had Alzheimer's. We did X, we did this. And people listen. And then what's really intriguing is even where I work, people come to me later and then they tell me their story and they've been hiding their story. They've been really quiet. Some people, I guess there's shame and stuff about it. But all these stories need to be told, and the reality of caregiving needs to be front and center. We don't have a cure, and right now it's the family caregivers who are just taking incredible burdens on their backs. 
And I'm happy that we're starting to do things through initiative, through the Alzheimer's Association, and just spreading awareness so that that was. Well, I don't know if you're aware in just this year, 2019, Mm -hmm. um, Governor Newsom, Governor Newsom, (laughs) Governor Newsom, Mm -hmm. um, I was at our state advocacy day where we asked for $10 million for a pilot program to fund eight county health departments for them to come up with a an awareness of the the 10 symptoms early mm-hmm. symptoms and like an early awareness early diagnosis mm-hmm. program now 10 million bucks is a lot of money mm-hmm. california it's like it was a fraction of a fraction of a percent of our state budget Mm-hmm. And we only got $5 million. Now, this is what's fantastic about the Alzheimer's Association is you think, okay, well, $10 million, eight county health departments, $5 million, four, right? That's basic math. I can do that. Nope. Mm-hmm. They funded six. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're in the process now of the applications. And it's a pretty rigorous application mm-hmm. process because they want you know, they don't want the white rich counties. They want diversity and they want, and they want diversity in ethnic ethnicity and you know, financial They want as much representation of the population as possible. So my County is pretty diverse because I'm in the San Francisco Bay area. Hmm. So I'm hoping that my County gets in on it and it's exciting. So I'm hope you know, 2020. I'm hoping to see that happen. And I'm signed up for the advocacy day again in February. So I'm not sure what we're asking for this time. <laughs> Jen, that's Jen, that's wonderful. Now, California is number one in the country as far as uh, Alzheimer's cases, right? Yeah, yeah. it's the either the second or the third cause of death. Mm-hmm. Kind of, de- I'm, I'm not sure why it bounces back and forth. But yeah, it's pretty huge. There, I mean, yes. I think so, we're the most so popular state in the union. So that's part yes. of the problem. <laughs> yeah. So whatever they're doing in California, sounds like a kind of a test run. It, once they make it throughout the whole state, that's going to impact so many people mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's. I'm that's, in Florida, which is number two. For okay. I did not know that, but that doesn't surprise me because you know, you've got an older population compared to other states. Yeah. Does people flee the cold snow and go down there? <laughs> yep. It must be cheaper because they don't come to California for that. And we have beautiful no, weather. No, they don't. Yeah. Even my, well, ma- my maternal grandparents spent at least half of the year traveling and mm-hmm. where we're at, it does, you know, it's okay. Today was chilly. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was like 32 degrees at breakfast this morning, which for us is like, oh, oh God, I'm not going, I'm going to walk the dogs. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> but we did and it was nice, but it's supposed to rain the next three days. So that's, that's good too. We need that, but ooh. Um, so. 32 is cold. I'm here in Florida. I 32. That's not even weather. That's an insult. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree with that. My mom likes it really hot. Now I did have one question. We kind of, I think we bypassed it a little bit. Your father, the, obviously Medicare and your dad's private insurance did not cover everything in Peru because obviously if you don't live here, I can understand why Medicare 
doesn't pay, except that we pay into that. So that's probably something that should be looked at, although I have no confidence that our government will do that anytime soon. Um, did his well, pension, was he, did he still collect his pension? Yeah, he still collected his pension. It went into his, you know, his bank account. Uh, a lot of people do this with their pensions. And so because he had a pension, he was eligible for a status in Peru is what's called a rentista, R-E-N-T-I-S-D-A. That just means like someone with like a independent income. As long as you have a thousand dollars or more, you can get like this status where you could live in Peru. Um, otherwise he would have had to go into Peru and leave, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he had, he is, his pension just came in and I would imagine a lot of people would be nervous. Like, what am I going to do? I don't have my health insurance um, in a foreign country. And that's something to definitely look into. Some countries in Latin America, you can buy the health insurance down there. Like a lot, there's a lot of people, a lot of Americans in Panama, in Costa Rica. I mean, Costa Rica has, in Ecuador, they have really, really good medical care down there. Um, not as many people were coming to Peru, but what happened was that the cost of care was so incredibly affordable in Peru that, you know, as I said, I was paying $667 a month for two health aides. He had the $3,000 coming in. I had extra money, but things did not cost a lot of money. I mean, uh, there's a lot of medical tourism in the world. People go to Peru for like, you know, I could probably get a crown for $200 in Peru. Um, my father, let me see, he fell and hit his head. He had a little seizure. We went to the hospital. The ambulance was free in the district where we live. So we didn't pay for the ambulance. Um, and then the whole thing, the stitches, the ER, the doctor, it costs like $180. Um, the doctor's visits were, as I said, at our home for 70 or $80. I, I, we didn't have big medical costs. Now, if, again, if my father had had really severe, like chronic ongoing huge problems, I don't know what that would have cost. But for us, it, we were able to make up with his pension and, and it was not a problem at all. His drugs, Peru, a, a lot of countries in South America, there's a, the drugs are just, sorry, medications. Um, That's true. <laughs> the medications were are really, really affordable. I mean, a lot of people come down to Peru to buy medications because it's cheaper there. So again, that really worked out to our favor. The only medication he was taking that cost, what it cost in the United States was Exelon because it was a newer drug at that time and they didn't have like a, Peru, a Latin American version. But no, the medical, the medical care, that all worked out. But again, that's a leap of faith. I was okay with that. I was okay doing that, and, and I knew everything about that. I write about this on my blog. I have a blog. Um, it's a Peruvian Alzheimer's adventure, peruaults.com, and I, I discuss all those different aspects. I mean, there's a certain leap of faith you have to take when you do something like this, but um, no, no we, didn't, we didn't suffer like financially with, with that. But my father was under the – he goes – he had American postal workers, he had Medicare, and he had some third thing from my mother. So he thought the whole time that the American Postal Workers Union was paying 
for his health care in Peru. And, you know, just like you do with people with dementia, you're like, yeah, dad, isn't it great? <laughs> yeah, I can't, can't convince him differently. You outlined in the notes that you sent me, like, mm-hmm. how, I mean, obviously, don't just do research on the internet and decide mm-hmm. to move to someplace in Peru. That mm-hmm. might not be good. What, how do you suggest if somebody really thinks that this might be an option for them, mm-hmm. what do you suggest they do? And like, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Peru. You keep talking about Latin America. Mm-hmm. Oh, the question I had, we'll backtrack a step here. Is the, the medical cost so much cheaper because it's government run? Cause we talked a little bit about that Medicare for all, or is it private like it is here? Um, it, there is, by the way, there's Medicare for all. So everybody gets that. You pay this tiny bit in your paycheck. But we, we ourselves had private insurance because we wanted the best of the best. And my, my husband and, and I paid for our, our family of three. We paid $125 a month for our health care down there. Can't even pay a doctor so, visit for that. <laughs> and that included the medications. Oh, Lord. Okay, so. I'm going to start packing now. <laughs> So the reason, Jen, that it costs so much less is because it just costs crazy insane a lot here. Um, a lot of countries just don't put up with what, what we put up with here. Um, so my father saw private doctors. It, it's just not like, it, it's not like, you know, like it just doesn't cost a lot, as much money. I mean, and doctors aren't, you know, Another thing I think that also keeps doctors' fees a little lower is there's not a culture in Latin America of suing. Um, you don't sue your doctors. So your doctor doesn't have to have malpractice, um, you know, insurance and stuff like that. And I think that's, you know, that's why it is. But getting back to your first question, which is how would I recommend that people do it? Um, a few easy steps. First of all, I think you need to be comfortable with change to a certain degree. If you're someone who just has always lived your life in the United States, you've never gone anywhere else, like you would just be disoriented. Um, you, you can probably find out a lot. There's great sources of information. Uh, there's a lot of expat and like living abroad sites. And when you go on those message boards and you go into these sites like retiring abroad, you can start to get a feeling of, what is it like to live as a retiree there? What are the resources? Um, I saw some man decided, he was like, I'm fed up. He was an American. I'm like, I'm going to find a place for my mom in Mexico. So the dude took off and he spent two weeks driving all over Mexico to sites that people had seen. And, and he was really, he really wanted something close by an airport. So he wasn't living right there. So you definitely have to go and visit the sites. So Again, I say Latin America. Um, I know people are doing this in Southeast Asia, stuff like this. Um, in that case, you need to have a little disposable income that you can fly there at least to be with, with your loved one. Um, you need to definitely go and spend several weeks to a month finding out about the different places. You can do lots of research here, and then you go and you see. Um, you can, in the meantime, brush up, learn a little bit of the language. I, I didn't know much Spanish going into it. I feel funny admitting this to you, but I didn't. Um, I learned on the streets of Peru. Um, but it's probably easier that way. Maybe. I talked to taxi drivers. 
I, I talk to taxi drivers. So whatever the language is, learn a bit of that language. Um, but you need to get the feel there and you need to visit places and have a list of like 20 places. Don't get discouraged if you see weird things or something that's so outside, like so outside your zone, because you will, you will, you have to weed out places. Like I had to weed out care homes for my dad. Like one place who a lot of Peruvians are Catholic and they're really concerned about like, having like the end of their life be like overseen by like priests and stuff. So we went to one place. It looked like the most sterile hospital. There were huge crucifixes hanging over the beds, nurses emptying out bedpans and big portraits of, of the Bishop and the Pope. And and like, and I realized, okay, that's my father was Lutheran. And I'm like, that's not what my dad needs. But for like a Peruvian, that, was more important than like a glamorous foyer, you know, what we would look for here. So you're going to see things that are different than what you would, you know, do, but you don't give up. Um, And again, you should probably even start going onto expat blogs and retire blogs, start befriending people because Americans who live abroad and who figured this stuff out love to share the information. They, they love to tell you, oh my God, I did this thing wrong. You know, this is what you should do. Um, and I've, I've just noticed that there are a lot more stories lately of people seeking nursing care abroad, elder care abroad. And that's how I would suggest. Well, I think I found a new hobby for my husband. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps mm-hmm. threatening to buy a home in Jamaica so that when it gets cold here, which doesn't oh. usually happen until early, early to mid November, then we could just go live in Jamaica for a while. And I'm like, it's an island and it's not very big. And I think I might go nuts. I like variety. I like different, but I'm like, I don't know if I could live on a, on a little island for, you know, temporarily, you know, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not permanently, but I could probably, I, when he talks about that and I know people that have homes that, mm-hmm. you know, they've, they're semi-retiring to Mexico you know, and so that's what they do. We've got a, a spin instructor yeah. at our gym whose parents retired in Spain because mm-hmm. the money goes further there, although I think they're spending more of it than they thought they would. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people in our immediate circle that are, mm-hmm. are doing this, you know, retiring abroad kind of thing. So I right. I personally think it would be exciting. And mm-hmm. I, I do like to tell people I am a multi-generational Californian. So, you know, prying me away from the state permanently might be a challenge, but I don't know. It's There's times when I'm like, I'm done. I'm out of here. And then there's times I'm like, I'm not leaving ever. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got a good life for yourself. Figure it out there. And it sounds like also a lot of people rely on you. I have a friend from California. She was a lawyer. And at 50, she gave it all up to go dance tango in Argentina. Oh, my. That's a... My- that's a different from a lawyer to a tango dancer is a big leap. <laughs> yes. So she, she teaches English during the day. Her name is Debbie Novitz. She has a blog. She has a blog called dating with Debbie, which is all about her experiences dating Argentinian men. It's kind of cool. Um, it's, she's funny. She's really, really funny. Um, but she's, 
So now she must be like in her early 60s and she's living in Argentina. And she, she probably, again, so that relates to what I say, go spend time in the country, bike around it or, you know, go tango dancing and you start to get a feel for what the place is like. And it could be something that's good for you. Definitely. Well, we're, we'd like to travel more, so that that's definitely an option. And I'm going to make sure to link Debbie's web, web blog on the show yes. notes because that just sounds fascinating. Definitely yours will be. Thank Do you, you have any last tidbits before we call it quits here today? I would have to say that um, caregivers, please hang in there with everything. You deserve the best of the best. You are your angels with what you're doing. And I was fortunate we were really blessed in Peru because the people of Peru and our caregivers showed so much cariño, which is loving kindness, and apoyo, which is support to my father. And it is my wish that you find that as well and hold on to your sanity (laughs) as you're going on this bumpy ride. (laughs) That's definitely true. Well, I appreciate it. This sounds fascinating. And I'm definitely going to check out your blog more. Yes. And I hope that this might be a good option for people that might be just at the beginning of this journey. Mm-hmm. I think we, we have to definitely definitely think outside the box until the United States gets its act together on, on this epidemic. That's gonna, it's going to crush everybody if we don't figure out something soon. Yes, I totally agree with you there, Jen. Well, you've made it to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for joining me. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes. This is how new people will find us. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. All of our accounts are linked in the show notes. And as always, I will be in your ears again next Tuesday.